Fresh Art International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. I'm Kathy Bird, Fresh Art producer. This Fresh Talk episode is about a subtlety, American artist Kara Walker's first ever public art installation, Creative Time, an organization that produces public art projects internationally, invited the artist to respond to the history of the abandoned Domino Sugar Refinery in Brooklyn. Kara Walker's A Subtlety, also known as A Marvelous Sugar Baby, references the intricate sugar sculptures once made for medieval feasts. The work pays homage to those who were unpaid and overworked in the cane fields and refineries. On Subtlety's opening day, we joined the pilgrimage to Brooklyn, where we stood in line to enter the shrine. Carol Walker had raised the spirits of the shuttered factory. With sugar, rising up in the darkness, a magnificent white sphinx loomed over her amber attendants. We spoke to Creative Time director Anne Pasternak about this transformative project. How did this project come to be? I mean, I'm really curious because it, it really goes with Kara Walker's concepts, but how did the sugar factory happen? Yes. Yeah, it's a good question. I've had a bucket list for the 20 years I've been at Creative Time of sites that I've wanted to use and of artists I've wanted to work with. And Kara Walker has definitely been on my bucket list of artists to work with. And every year or so I write her a little love note about something wonderful she's done just to make sure she knows me a little bit, you know? And Domino Sugar Warehouse and the factory site has also been on my bucket list. And in fact, it was the last space on my bucket list that we hadn't used. We'd actually gotten to outer space before we'd gotten to Domino. Anne was talking about artist Tom Sachs' 2012 space program, Mars, a four-week mission to Mars that recast a hall in the Park Avenue Armory as an immersive space odyssey. One of our board members actually acquired the site, and when I found out, I asked him if we could maybe do something with it, and he did not hesitate to say yes. So when we walked into the space we're in right now, this cavernous sugar warehouse, it used to be the warehouse from 1870 where the raw sugar would come in off the barges before it went through the refining process. It didn't take the team and I long to figure out that Carol Walker would be the ideal artist. Her work deals with these issues of slavery. You can't think about slavery without thinking about the sugar trade. I mean, a huge reason for slavery was to provide labor for sugar trade, for harvesting sugar. And, you know, just her, her work dealing with issues of labor and migration and empire and, you know, all these kinds of layers of issues. There could not have been a more resonant artist. So when we saw the site, we immediately called Kara and said, come here or forever regret it. And she walked in. She didn't say much. She's a very quiet, thoughtful, even shy person. And she said, I'll be in touch tomorrow. And that morning, the next morning, I opened my emails and there were 38 drawings from her. And I thought, done, done. This is an artist I want to work with. She's inspired, she's serious. She's following through. <laughs> yeah. Is this her first public art project? It is her first public art project. She had never imagined really doing a public art project before. And beyond that, it's her first sculpture. And she didn't know she was going to make a giant sculpture. She was just starting initially to paint and draw with molasses and sugar to see 
what would come of it and she did a lot of research and supported her in her research. And then over time she came up with this idea of a giant monument. Anne introduced the creative team that produced the project. We worked with an army of people, so for the 3D modeling it was Digital Atelier, and then we had a team of master sculptors that helped us put it together. The Great Sphinx itself is uh, constructed of 330 blocks of styrofoam. Do not cringe, because it all will be cleaned and it will go back into styrofoam recycling, not into landfill. But they had to uh, carve out these 330 blocks, piece them together like a puzzle here on site, provide structural reinforcement, and then uh, coat and sugar. That's an amazing, colossal production, I'm yes, sure. Yes, it is, literally. We expect it's going to melt during the time it's here, but what about the rodents and the insects that may be attracted? You know, it's very funny. Everybody likes everything to be permanent. This is very temporary sculpture. Yes. And we would have thought, actually, that we would have had a rodent problem by now, but you have to remember there was 150-plus years of sugar in oh. here, and the year that we've been preparing the space, we haven't seen a rodent. They're during the whole installation, and now that the project's open, I've seen one bug in here. There are pigeons... Maybe they're eating some of the bugs. I have no idea, but we have not had a problem. We do have experts on call just in case we need them to safely remove any rodents that might end up popping up. So, so far, so good on that. And we'll see what happens. It's unpredictable. If it gets to be 90 or 100 degrees in here, might things melt? Sure. We talked about the communities impacted by the refinery when it was operating and how those communities were invited to celebrate a subtlety before the public opening. I heard you speaking with someone about the, the communities that were engaged in producing sugar here and how you involved them in the process or at least in the outcome. Tell me right. about that. Well, uh, what I was referring to is that we actually had a community preview for this project and to open up the space. You know, it's been shuttered since 2004. And even before it was shuttered, this was a site of labor protests. So we wanted, before we allowed the public in, before we allowed art world insiders in, we wanted to recognize and honor the community. So the first thing that we did is we reached out to former Domino Sugar factory employees who probably hadn't been in here since 2004 or even longer and invited them to come in and see the exhibition as well as the community organizations and the educators and some of the local artists in the neighborhood and a whole bunch of people. So we had a bit of a community preview and celebration, which was actually quite touching. Shelja Patel is one of the writers that Creative Time invited to respond to this sweet subject. From Kenya, Shelja is a poet, playwright, activist, and public intellectual. She's the author of Migritude, a bestseller in the Seattle Times and Amazon Poetry bestseller. Via Skype, we're adding Shelja's brilliant voice to this conversation. I'm so happy to have you here with me today, Shelja. It's my pleasure to be here. I know that you were invited to create a response to Kara Walker's first ever large-scale public art project, and we're featuring it on Fresh Art International when I read your text, I immediately wanted to reach out to you and add your voice to our conversation about subtlety. But before you read Unpour, which is the title of your, would you call it a prose poem? I'd call it a short essay, a meditation, a reflection, a riff. Would you tell me how you first encountered Kara's project? 
Creative Time invited me to contribute a piece. They commissioned a piece from me because they're familiar with my book, Migritude. The editors there are fans of Migritude. And my work and my book, Migritude, is about histories of empire and women's bodies, which is also very much Cara's dominant theme. She's looking at the histories of slavery and the way that slavery and empire have been enacted on the bodies of black women in particular. Shelja was simply asked to riff on sugar. I wrote it in the dark. I was told that the project was about sugar and the histories of sugar production. And I'm familiar with Kara Walker's work. So obviously I had a sense that she would be doing something subversive and provocative. And I was asked to just riff on sugar and take it in any direction I wanted to go. I had no idea what her concept was or what the final work would look like. It's as if she were standing before the Sphinx when she wrote on poor. I see a great resonance with what you wrote and what she produced. What are your feelings? It was delightful and satisfying to see how closely aligned my vision was with hers and how we both went in the same direction about sugar, labor, bodies, race, whiteness. That was fascinating. As you said, there was a tremendous resonance. I thought that you'd been there when I read it, truthfully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I saw the, I've only seen photographs because I'm based in Oakland and I haven't had a chance to be in New York for the exhibition. So the photos were fabulous. It was like, wow, it's as if she read my work and I knew what she was going to do. It's beautiful. The piece that I wrote is called Unpour. Pour some sugar on me. Death Leopard's Joe Elliott sings. Like all sugar is pourable, like there's only one kind. Endless white rivers, soft and powdery, refined. Your sugar, Joe, is not my sugar. Your sweet is not my sweet. White sugar has always been for rich people. White sugar has always been guest sugar, company sugar, sugar for public display, parlor sugar. My grandparents' sugar was the cane. You need strong teeth, strong jaws to chew sugar cane. The sticks are sometimes too thick to fit comfortably in the mouth. You get purchase on a ridge of juicy, crisp fiber. Arrange the fibers crosswise against the blades of your incisors. You position your tongue and the roof of your mouth out of reach of knife-sharp corners. You bite against the grain. If you bite parallel to the fibres, you end up splitting the cane. Smaller and smaller sticks in your mouth, saliva running, no juice. But when you get the crunch just right and the surge and gush of sweet liquid, (sighs) my parents' sugar was jaggery. Brown rock, pre-sugar, before the molasses is spun off from the crystals by centrifuge, made from coconut or date palm sap or sugarcane juice, boiled to syrup, then hardened and chopped into blocks. As a child, I had the task of grating the large hunk down into soft, crumbly shavings for cooking. The gritty, melty sweetness of it shot with undertastes of minerals. I grew up with yellow-grey Kenyan sugar, 
made in Mumias in western Kenya, thick, coarse grains that sucked moisture from the air to bind into dense lumps that had to be battered and chiseled apart into scoopability. My parents bought a silver tea set once from a white expatriate family leaving Kenya. We really had no use for it. Our tea was chai, milk, water, tea leaves, sugar and masala, boiled together in an aluminium sephoria until it reached the brown hue of a mud-laden river in the rainy season. In the silver sugar bowl, round as a cherub's butt, perched on three dainty paws, our yellow-grey sugar looked ugly. So my mother bought imported sugar cubes, sparkly white, not knowing you serve those with tongs. The bone of our silver sugar spoon, its handle elegantly curved, was too deep to lift out sugar cubes. We filled the teapot with already milked, already sweetened chai and never noticed the bemusement on the faces of white visitors. It takes bones to get sugar white. Thousands of pounds of cow bones burned to bone char are used to bleach sugar in processing plants. My Hindu parents, for whom beef was the ultimate taboo, did not know this when they proudly displayed white sugar lumps in their silver sugar bowl. Pour some sugars on me. Make them sticky, dense and brown. Make them juicy, fibrous, weapon sharp. Unbleach the sweet. Work those sugars, baby. Force them back through bone. Meld them back to rock. Some of us take our sweet dirty, extracted, not poured. You've been listening to Fresh Talk with Creative Time Director Anne Pasternak and Kenyan writer Shalja Patel. Our conversations were about artist Carol Walker's Marvelous Sugar Baby, a monumental public art project confected inside Brooklyn's abandoned Domino factory. Read more about subtlety on freshartinternational.com. Let's continue this conversation on Facebook and Twitter where you'll find us at FreshArtINTL. To hear about other poetic projects, visit our site and click on Fresh Talk. What other edible projects have you produced through Creative Time with edible elements, edible materials? I'm curious. I'm hard-pressed to think of any. This is a new medium for me.